Romans 15, we are given this assurance, that the nature of God's word stems from the very nature of God himself. Our God is the God of all comfort. Therefore, his word gives us comfort that we might endure in hope as we wait for the Lord Jesus to return. No wonder then that God calls us to pay careful attention to his word because there is comfort in close reading. Over the last few weeks, we've been seeing the grand scope and the place which God's church has in his plans and purposes. Rather than being an accident or an afterthought, the consequence of having saved too many people, church is at the centre of God's plans. It's the fruit of God's saving activity in order that he may have a people to dwell with. Such majesty, such grace to deal with his judgment against sin, the exclusion and separation that we have, that we might be gathered by him into his presence. What a glorious image that we have seen over the last few weeks of our great God, his saving activity and his plans for you and for me together. Because church is more than just gathering. Church is more than just the gathering of God's people. Church is more than just the gathering of God's people by God. Church is the gathering of God's people by God to himself. But we're gathered. Now what? What do we do? What does it look like to experience church life together in the here and now? Over the next couple of weeks, uh, rather than looking at the grand vision of God's plans and places for, place for church, we'll be narrowing in and seeing what church life looks like as we meet together in the here and now. It has a backdrop, a spiritual backdrop, that we'll look at in the coming weeks. But as we've been seeing over the last few weeks, uh, that Sinai, what happened at Sinai all those years ago, 3,300 years ago or so, uh, at that place in Egypt, uh, in the Sinai Peninsula, it forms a shadow and a backdrop, an indication of what church life ought to look like. Now, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, the word church in its original language in Greek uh, was not a religious word and it didn't refer to buildings, it didn't refer to denominations, it's just the word for gathering or assembly. And occasionally uh, in the scriptures, the word church is used not to describe a gathering of God's people, but simply to describe a gathering. And uh, I mentioned to you that this happens in Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus. Hear what it has to say about the Ephesian assembly, not the, not the Christians, but the riot that was taking place. It says there in verse 20, uh, 32 uh, that now some cried out one thing, some cried out another because the assembly was in confusion and most of them did not why they, know why they'd come together. And sometimes you might feel like that about our church. Some people are saying one thing, other people say another, but why on earth are we here? What are we doing together? What ought church life as Christians look like together? In God's grace and mercy, he gives us Sinai, or as our reading from Deuteronomy calls it, Horeb, Mount Horeb, gives us a shadow of what church ought to look like. So if you're going to leave your Bibles open, which I hope you do, uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, and we're looking particularly in that chapter at verses 1 to 20. And hear these words from verse 20. The Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Church, as we saw last week, is the fruit of God's saving activity. 
Church is the result of his rescue, his redemption of his people from slavery, from death, and as we see it fulfilled in the New Testament, slavery to sin, the world and the devil, and into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Sinai, as a shadow of church, we remember that first salvation and then gathering. But they gather to God to do a particular thing. They gather by God's grace, together as God's people, to be his people. They gather in his presence to do a particular thing. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 4, 40 years later, on Moses' last day of his life, his last speeches that he gives before he dies, he calls the people to remember. Over chapters 1 to 3, he has reminded them of all of God's grace to them, how he's kept them through the wilderness, how he's preserved them those 40 years, and he's brought them to the edge of the promised land. He's brought them to the Jordan in the plains of Moab. And now he reminds them, and having reminded them, he gives the consequence. Chapter 4, now, O Israel, listen. Listen to the statutes and rules that I am teaching you and do them. If there is a key word and phrase throughout the book of Deuteronomy, aside from statutes and rules and judgments, uh, which come up a lot, it's the word listen, hear. What does Moses, as he reflects on God's saving activity, what does Moses call them to do as he uh, is about to die and as they head into the promised land without him? What does he call them to keep doing again and again? It's to listen. Having been rescued, he wants them to hear because that is exactly what happened at Sinai. These 40 years later, as Moses reflects on what happened at Sinai, you see there in verse 9 and 10 exactly what life was like for them as they gathered at this first church meeting, the day of the assembly, the day of the gathering, the day of the church. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children how on the day that you stood before the Lord at Horeb, gathered into the very presence of God, the Lord said to me, gather the people that I may let them hear my words. That they may hear my words. What happened? What happened when they gathered at Sinai? Well, flick your eyes over to chapter 5. Because what happened in chapter five, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he records and rehearses what happened 40 years earlier in Exodus chapter 20. You see there in chapter 5 verse 3, not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, all of us, we are alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, out of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up to the mountain. If you flick your eyes down, what do they see? What do they hear? They hear the 10 words, the 10 commandments. Verse 22, chapter 5. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly, to your church at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. You said, behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. Today we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. 
For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and still live? Moses, go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear it and we will do it. What happens when God gathers a people to himself? He wants them to listen to him. The first church, the day of the assembly, what was their experience of God? To hear him speak. And so back in chapter 4, verse 11, you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded to you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments and wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you may do them in the land that you are going over to possess. This is not an idle word, but Moses is emphatic. God is emphatic, insistent that what happens in the day of the church is that people listen to him. So much so, verse 15, we must watch ourselves very carefully. Our experience of God in this world is by word, is by hearing, not through seeing forms of God, not by seeing a physicality of God. God is spirit, but hearing. Do you notice all the language of visualness that keeps coming up in this passage? They see God by hearing him. They behold his glory by hearing him speak. The way in which we see God is to hear him, to listen and not forget. And it's not to selectively listen. And it's not for us to add to what God has to say. It's not for us to take. But for us to hear him truly, we must hear him wholly. You notice there in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, as he begins uh, this uh, uh, chapter, Moses says, verse 2, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor shall you take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Now, a lot of people take this verse to mean, well, make sure you write it properly. Don't uh, add to Deuteronomy. Don't take away from Deuteronomy in chapter 13, verse uh, 1. Uh, it happens again. He says, don't add to it. Don't take from it. And people say, okay, it's, a, it's about how you write the text. Don't add to it or take from it. But it's not that at all. It's about how we listen and how we obey, how we trust that word. We are called as the people of God, as we meet with him, as those who are rescued to hear him speak, not hear selectively, not add to what we hear, but to hear him. And of course, to respond with obedience, with faith, with trust, with honour and glory to him. Friends, when we gather together in the here and now, this must be the shape of our church life because that's how the New Testament goes on to describe church. Now, as you saw there in Colossians chapter 3, uh, he uh, talks about uh, a lot of other things uh, in those verses. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be thankful. Um, 
and various other things about uh, clothing ourselves with compassion and love and gracious towards, graciousness towards one another. It is true that in the New Testament, the, uh, the letters of the New Testament and uh, the interest of the uh, gospel writers and uh, the apostles is much more interested in the character with which we meet with one another, the conduct of our meetings together and our life together. It kind of assumes more often than not what it is we actually do together when we meet. But when it does spell out what we do with one another, word is central. Listening is central. And so you see there in Colossians chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It is by the word and hearing the word that you and I were saved. How can anyone believe if there was no one sent in order to proclaim that people might believe? In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul reminds them that they came to faith in Jesus by hearing about him. Peter, as we saw earlier this year, talks about it being the word of life that gives us new life, gives birth to life within us. And as Paul says earlier in Colossians, the Christian is to continue in the same way that they came to belief. In the same way that we receive Jesus, so we continue in him. That is by receiving the word that we heard. Ephesians chapter 2 that we've been coming back to time and time again describes the church as being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, those who speak the word of God with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. God's church is fundamentally about hearing hearing God, having been rescued by God, and then responding to God by remembering, by repenting, by trusting, and by obeying. As many of you, at least I hope many of you would know, uh, the Anglican Church uh, has a few formularies, a few things that uh, organise itself and its identity. And one of those things is the prayer book, and we'll be using that a little bit later on as we uh, take communion together. And uh, we've already heard one of the other formularies, uh, the creeds, uh, the Nicene Creed, and there's another thing as well. It's called the 39 Articles. And uh, 39 might be an odd number for you, uh, but they originally had 42 and they got rid of a few. Um, but uh, in the 39 Articles, uh, it's on my phone, so I'm not just checking my messages as... Uh, or maybe, I, no, definitely not. Um, here we go. Article, Article 19. I'm sure you know it well. Um, I know it so well I have to peer at my screen. Here we go. Uh, Article 19 is about the church, and this is how it defines church. The visible church of Christ is a congregation of faithful men. What he's saying is believers. It's a congregation of believers in which the pure word of God is preached and the sacraments duly administered according to Christ's ordinance. What is church in the here and now, the visible church as we meet together? What is it? It's the congregation, the assembly, the gathering of God's people, faithful men and women, believing men and women. And what happens in their midst? The pure word of God is preached. We'll come back to the sacraments in just a moment. In fact, we'll come back to it right now since it's open here in front of me. Uh, what are the sacraments? The sacraments are ordained by Christ, not just as a symbol, a badge or a token, 
but rather they are certain and sure witnesses of the grace that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are, if you like, visible proclamations, witnesses to the faith, testifying to God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Church in the here and now is founded on the Word of God, it is shaped by the Word of God, and our meetings are to be characterised by hearing the Word of God. Notice that the 39 Articles talks about the Word of God preached, not just read, not just spoken, but proclaimed. Here's a bit of a curiosity for you. The phrase Word of God occurs a lot of times in the New Testament, but not once, not once does it refer to this, what we have in front of us, the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong, the Bible is the Word of God. It makes that clear in other places and often. But when, he talk, when the New Testament talks about the Word of God, it is much more interested in it as a heard word, a proclaimed word, a word that is spoken into the air and spoken to people and amongst people that people may hear it. What does Paul call Timothy to do in 1 Timothy 4 verse 13? Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, not just for it to be written amongst you and be kept in a book, but for it to be read out loud, that people may hear it. Well, I imagine all of this is a bit familiar to us. Yes, we know this. We're gathered. We know what we're supposed to do. It's not so much now what, but so what? Let me highlight a few things to ensure us uh, that we don't fall into dangers and traps. You heard the insistence at Sinai that there was no form of God. Now there is a safeguard that we have in not having a building of our own because we can't put things in place. Well, I guess we could, but we can't easily put things in place to make idols or things to look to. But there are ways that we are in danger of doing that nonetheless. We can imagine ourselves as only coming to God if we perform certain rituals and do certain things. The Bible is curiously, well, not curiously, it's deafeningly silent about rituals and activities in church life. In fact, the only one is communion. As we'll hear tonight, it is important that we don't place a special emphasis on the minister to do certain things, perform certain rituals, say certain words, wear certain clothes. Let me say as well that it's important that we don't put the wrong emphasis on the song leader either. In the low kind of church that we inhabit here at Cherrybrook Anglican and the kinds of churches that imbibe this low church kind of atmosphere, that is those who don't use a formal prayer book, because we use our own words rather than words written by other people, we can fall into the danger of thinking and believing things that are contrary to scripture. There is a certain theology that is rife within Sydney, not so much in Anglican churches, but certainly in the informal church life that we typify and characterise. It's the idea that the worship leader is the one who leads us into access to God. Explicitly, unashamedly, there is a church in Sydney, in the Hills District, that likes singing, 
that says that we gain access to God through music. And the song leader called the worship leader, which is a terrible idolatry, which we'll hear a little bit about tonight in a few weeks' time, the song leader called the worship leader is the one who leads you and me into the very throne room of God by music. That is a terrible idolatry and must be avoided. Darlene Check, in her publishing about her songs and the theology of music at that church, is clear and unashamed. There's a reason why she was front and centre of every CD cover that they ever put out. In fact, she replaced the former song leader of that church, Jeff Bullock, because he no longer believed that theology. He came to discover grace through Jesus Christ and the pressure that was put on him to be the means of access to God, he repented of and was let go from that organisation. It's not easy to talk about churches like that, but we're playing with fire because our God is a consuming fire and inappropriate access to him will not go unpunished. Do not put your minister in a position of standing between God and you. That's for Jesus to do. Do not put your song leader or the, song, uh, the music team in a position between God and you. That's for the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me highlight three other dangers. And you see them there on your outline. The first is in our church life to divorce the word and the spirit. As we've seen and heard over the last few weeks, the church, uh, God dwells in us by his spirit. Both individually and corporately together, God's spirit is within us. And so the temptation can become then to say, well, isn't it about being led by the spirit in church life? Isn't church life to be all about experiencing the spirit in our meetings together? I've been told numerously uh, in past churches that it is my responsibility as the minister to invite the Holy Spirit into our presence and to fan the flame of the Spirit in our presence. And if I don't do that, I am blocking the Spirit from being here amongst us. It is a terrible blasphemy. God gathers us into his presence. We don't invite him into ours. The Spirit is here regardless of the minister. Where two or three gather in Jesus' name, there he is amongst us. But it is a terrible, terrible mistake to separate the Spirit of God from the Word of God, because the two are inseparable. Right from the very first verses of the Bible, we see the two paired together. The Spirit was hovering over the surface of the deep, and God said, as Psalm 33 verse 6 says, the, word, the world was formed, the earth was formed by the word of his mouth, by the breath of the Spirit of his lips, were things made. Word and Spirit belong together. When Jesus inherits his ministry and begins his ministry and he quotes Isaiah, he doesn't say he came to release the poor and to bind up the injured and to uh, bring uh, freedom to the prisoner. He said, the spirit is on me to proclaim freedom, to proclaim release. When uh, David uh, sins and he confesses his sin in Psalm 51, he asks God not to take his spirit from him. And having God's spirit remain with him, what does he then do? He says, then open my lips that I might teach sinners your ways. 
when the promise of the Spirit comes uh, in Joel chapter uh, 3, in Joel chapter 3, where the Spirit uh, is promised to come on all flesh, what is this promised Spirit's coming like? To proclaim, to be like prophets, those who have visions of God and dreams and speak it to others. This is the Spirit of God, to speak. In fact, as the New Testament makes clear, no prophet, no apostle speaks of his own volition, but only as the Spirit of God gave them to speak. Do not divorce the Word and the Spirit. It fills me with despair when I see people continually running after the Spirit, but thoroughly ignorant of this, our Scriptures, the Word of the Spirit. Do not divorce the two in our church life. If we have the Word, we have the Spirit's Word. If we want to experience the Spirit, we will listen to Him. The second danger is to downplay the diversity of hearing and response. And this is a real danger for us, using our own liturgy, using, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks' time, using our own shape and structures of services, that we can become so heavily dependent on two forms of hearing God speak that we ignore the others. We must devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. We must devote ourselves to the proclamation of the Word. Those two things are essential in our church life gathering. But as you see there in Colossians chapter 3, it's not the only way we let the Word of God dwell in us richly. We do it as we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. We do it as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another and to God. We let the Word of Christ dwell in us in a whole variety of ways, so much so that in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, Paul talks about each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all of it be done for building up. The only restriction that we have is that it needs to be intelligible. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there only be two or three, and each in turn let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets... Uh, we can talk about what a prophet is in the New Testament another time. Speak and then let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. You, for you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. What is the shape of our church life to be like? Ordered, intelligible, hearing in a whole variety of ways the word of God amongst us, that it may dwell in us, that the Spirit may do his marvellous work. There is a final danger that we must be careful of, and that's of relegating what belongs to the church to private life. You know it in your hearts because we emphasise it so strongly that your personal prayer and Bible reading at home in private is often your spiritual barometer for how you're going with God. When someone asks, how are you and God going? What's your answer? If you're anything like me, and if you're anything like the Christians I've met through the years, the answer is immediately, I'm going great because I'm doing my Bible reading at home. Or yeah, it's been a real struggle to read my Bible at home. Don't get me wrong, read the Bible at home, read it all you can. But properly speaking, those things first and foremost belong to the body of Christ. And if you ever have a minister who downplays the presence of the word in your midst or downplays prayer in your midst, don't let them do it. 
because it's God's very purposes for church. Yeah, let's not have as many Bible readings because you can read the Bible at home and we're pressed for time. We're running out of time, so let's cut prayer short. And the young adults are thinking, Scott does that all the time at Bible study. (laughs) It is a failing of mine. Friends, these things, if you can do them at home, great. But your minister is responsible to guarantee them in the life of his flock, who's not his flock, but Christ's flock. He can't guarantee that you will read your Bible at home, whether through laziness, whether through stubbornness, whether through rebellion, hard-heartedness, or whether through mental illness, whether through hardship, grief, whether because you find reading text really hard, whether you're dyslexic, whether, yes, you went through school, but functionally you never read text. The minister cannot guarantee the presence of the word at home, but he can guarantee it in your midst and cherish, cherish the word being read amongst you. At Sinai, they saw no form. There was only a voice. Having been rescued by God in Christ Jesus, the shape of church life now is to hear him speak and to respond with repentance, with faith, with thanksgiving and great joy and obedience together. And praise be to a God who gives us all that we need, not just for salvation in his word, but for life and godliness as well. Let me pray. Father in heaven, may we take care and keep our soul diligently and not forget, not forget what we have seen, your glory through your word. And may those words never depart from our hearts all the days of our life. May we make them known to our children, to our children's children, that the nature of church, like the first day as with now, is to stand for you, to hear your words, that we may fear you and be obedient to you and proclaim you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the preaching hosted here at Comforting Close Reading. If you're looking for other resources, you can head over to our main site, scriptorium.net.au. If you have any questions, our email address is right at scriptorium.net.au.